Welcome to a healthy bite. You're one nibble closer to a more satisfying way of life, a healthier you, and bite-sized bits of healthy motivation. Now let's dig in on the dish with Rebecca Huff. On today's episode of A Healthy Bite, I have the honor of speaking with the author of Holistic Wealth, Keisha Blair. Keisha is a trained economist with extensive experience in the public, private, and not-for-profit sectors, and she wrote a viral blog post um, after her husband passed away at a very young age of 34. And Keisha is here today to share a little bit about her book and some of the life lessons that help you find purpose, prosperity, and happiness. I appreciate you being on the show today. I'm looking forward to talking to you about financial health. But before we get started, can you tell my audience, which it's predominantly women. So we're going to focus on um, financial health for women. Mm-hmm. But can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your story? Sure. Um, so thanks for having me. It's great um, to be on the show. And, and so, yes, um, a few years ago, my husband passed away when I was 31. This was eight weeks after I gave birth to my second child. And he died of a disease that was very, very rare. Um, So we had no idea that he was sick. Uh, The doctors didn't detect it. It was only after an autopsy, which took another year um, because experts, they had to gather like an international panel of experts to examine the case. It was that rare. Um, And so it was after a year we found out what it was. And, And so... I, um, you know, at the time I, I was an economist myself and I was very aware of the need for women, young women, especially to be very savvy about their finances and to take that very, very seriously. But when that happened to me, it all just became even clearer. And it just was just like an epiphany that even if you're young, you know, it needs to be something that needs to be very top of mind. It needs to be um, something that is planned for, you know, in terms of our finances or financial well-being. And so, yeah, like I, you know, just many lessons and, and many insights because of my experience and so happy to share with other women um, based on that. And it's always a privilege and I'm always very humbled to, to spread this message because it's so important. I agree. It is. And so your book, Holistic Wealth, which I agree, the cover is very, very pretty. Um, It's broken down into four sections, which are intentional life purpose, um, financial independence, physical and spiritual nourishment, uh, goodwill and strong relationships. I love that. And in the four different parts of your book are the 32 lessons. So how did this book come about? Yeah. So, um, so after my husband died, like I, I started on a path of, of writing and I just had to get through just even getting my thoughts, um, on paper and, and kind of, you know, um, kind of putting down how it all evolved for me and how I was feeling. And so I wrote and wrote and wrote until, you know, one day I sat down and I was like, well, what lessons have I learned from this tragedy? And I, I ended up writing an article on Thrive Global called My Husband Died at Age 34. 
here are 40 life lessons I learned from it. And I, I, I just thought, wow, you know, like I'll just write that and nothing will happen. But it, it became very popular. It was viral. And, um, you know, an agent, because at the time I was writing and it had kind of formed, you know, like a, a manuscript had formed out and in, in, in the shape of a memoir. And I still wanted to get this memoir published. And an agent said, you know what, put down that manuscript and write this book, write this book based on this article um, with the life lessons in it. And I was like, okay, you know, it, it sounded, I know the article had resonated well with people. And so I thought, yeah, this could be a great format for a book. And so I started writing that and that's how the book came about. And so it's 32 life lessons. Um, because we had to condense some down to, to, to um, from the 40 to the 32. And so that's why we have it broken down. And if you look at the article in comparison to the book, you'll see those four sections of the book there very clearly in terms of it's just better organized. And, um, and so it's, it's, it's been a real, um, you know, humbling experience for me to see that in the form of a book now, because these were exactly the kinds of things that got me through that tragedy. Um, just just now put into this framework that's well organized and and something useful for other people to use. And I mean, even if you haven't been through the loss of a spouse, it's there's there's so many lessons around how to organize yourself and how to be intentional about living well and and planning your finances and relationships. And so um and so I'm I'm glad to be at this point where it can be shared in such a useful framework. I loved it. I, I started reading it and I thought, okay, that definitely applies to me. Okay. This is a lesson I need to learn. And as I was going through, I felt like they all applied to me. So, you know, like I said, I'm not a widow, but I found that every single lesson was something. And I think it's really just about living your life on purpose. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of the theme I got from your book is just to really be choosing the path you take, which is kind of ironic for me because I talk to my therapist about this a lot is how I spent so much of my life just doing whatever happened next and not really planning anything and then putting out a fire. And then, you know, one thing would lead to another and I really had no, rhyme or reason to what I was doing. And so if I'd had this book 20 years ago, I think my life would have been organized a lot differently and a lot better <laughs> sooner. Mm -hmm. But I loved every single one. And I also loved that you gave me per permission to knit um, in your hobby <gasps> section. Yes. <laughs> because I, I think knitting is such a soothing meditative hobby it just calms your mind. And sometimes, you know, if you're stressed out, if you're a knitter and you think, oh, I just need to knit. <laughs> so what's your hobby that you have that makes you feel? Yeah. Like I writing for me, like I, I'll be honest, just because it's some, it's one of the things I've just been doing a lot of in the last couple of years, writing for me has been, um, truly my hobby in terms of, um, you know, getting my thoughts down and, and when I'm alone away from the kids and everyone else, um, that's what I tend to do most. I, I, when I was on sabbatical, it was different. And I, I discussed that in the book too. It was more about nature walks and being out in nature because I just felt like it was a call. Like I, I needed that. And it, 
it's helped me get through, um, you know, that setback. And so at the time, if you had asked me this question, you know, when I was on my, I would have said that to you and like, it was, it was hiking, it was walking, it was being out in nature. And, and it's amazing how, you know, your hobbies kind of go with, um, what you're kind of going through in life and and it's kind of aligned with that which is which is amazing because we all need these hobbies at different times of our life to kind of get us through different situations so it's um so yeah like i i i can see how with the knitting um you know that would have been a for sure calming um for people who enjoy that and it was it was great to include that in the book as well yeah. So your writing, did it start out as journaling? Cause I know you talk about journaling in your book as kind of a good thing to do. Did you start out writing for other people or were you just writing for yourself? So it started off as kind of a journal and I was writing for myself. It was just like, this is what I'm feeling. Why is this happening? Um, it was a jumble of a lot of my thoughts on paper. And, you know, like I, I said it in the article that went viral, that if I had known, I would have even been more intentional. If I had known about my desire to make this into a book, at the time I started journaling my thoughts, I would have even been more intentional about capturing even more of my feelings as they were raw and vulnerable. And so I felt like I lost out on some of that. And even some of the things the kids would ask me and which ended up in the book, you'll see like in, you know, in, in chapter one, you know, like things that Alex, like my, my son would say, like, I would have even been more. And like, I completely agree with you when you say that if you had that book before, you'd have even been more intentional. You saw me nodding because I feel the same way. And so when I wrote it, like I wrote it from, from that perspective, it was just this perspective of how can we be very intentional about, our decisions about moving forward in our lives, about living in our purpose so that, you know, at what, whenever we look back, you know, we won't have these regrets about our lives. And, and, you know, you, you mentioned putting out fires and that's how I felt for a while too, especially after my husband died, it was just like the funeral and getting through the autopsy and explaining to family and friends. And I had no time to think about how I would move forward, what I would do and, it was only when I took that sabbatical that I had time to think about that because I had the space I needed from, from everyone, from the work and everything and, and to kind of set that framework in motion. And I think that's, that's one of the gifts of, of actually, you know, like us taking that pause to reflect. Definitely. You talk about this in the section with the intentional life purpose, um, discovering the real you. How does one do that? Do you feel like you discovered yourself during this period of time? Uh, yeah, definitely. So I had, you know, he had passed when I was 31, as I mentioned. At the time, you know, I, and I mentioned this in the book too, that I had just gotten into this executive program. And, you know, for me, even before he passed, that was my life goal. I would become an executive and I would move up and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that's amazing. And for so many of us, we have these goals. And I talk about goals with wisdom too, because for, for so many of us, we do. And it's, it's wrapped up in our careers and, and, and having financial wealth and, and these different things. And when I went on sabbatical and I had time to think, I thought, wow, I had those goals before he died, but I don't know if those are my goals anymore. 
um, I was now widowed with two young children and I had to think about as a single parent, how I would move forward. And so that goal now seemed a bit more like vanity in that context. It had really, you know, struck me as well, okay, I need to put self-care first. Now I need to put my children self-care, um, first as well. And, and so, yeah, like it, 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 it gave me the time to think about really, what do you want to do? And I thought about his legacy and I thought about what mine would be. And I knew it had to just transcend goals of just climbing the corporate ladder or, um, you know, having a certain marker of success. It had to be something that I could be proud of in terms of giving back and, and, and sharing, you know, with other people, my experiences. So yeah, like I, that's how I got more intentional about walking in my purpose. And, you know, it's so funny because there's a, there's a quote in the book from Viktor Frankl about detecting your purpose. Um, and that's kind of what happened to me while I was on sabbatical. I kind of detected it because here's this very bizarre incident that happened, this very bizarre tragedy that nobody could comprehend um, most doctors won't ever see that disease in their lifetime, only in textbooks. Um, and I thought, wow, this happened to my family. And it really struck me as there's a reason for this. And I know there are people out there thinking there's something happening in my life. Is there a reason for this? Or does this mean something? And it does. And I think if we take the time to really think through it and think about the lessons we're learning as we're going through it, then it's easier to kind of detect your purpose rather than invent it. I think that that was the quote from Viktor Frankl in the book, because a lot of us, go, you know, we like we move through life thinking that we're inventing it and we're not, we're really not inventing it. We're detecting it based on experiences that are happening to us throughout life. And, and we have no control sometimes over what happens. So even though we can make goals and we should, and, and even though we can, you know, do things to kind of nudge us in a certain direction. It's, it's all about detecting based on what's happening around you. And so that's kind of the epiphany I got when I was on sabbatical. It was just like, yeah, um, this is obviously now a part of my life, a big part. This has now defined me in a way that nothing else can. Um, how do I use that to help others and how do I use it? And in what format do I share and how? And so I had to work through all of that, you know, even, even as I was trying to reconstruct a life and trying to reinvent myself and, 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 and trying to see how I'd move forward. Yeah, I'm definitely still in the detective phase of um, figuring out my life. So yeah. yeah, I think I did spend a lot of years trying to invent it, like you're saying. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. And I really enjoyed um, that whole section of the book. And before we leave that section, can you talk to us a little bit about the law of abundance? Sure. So when I, you know, I, I wrote out the different principles and different laws in the book that corresponded with like the four different um, areas in the book, the four different sections. Mm -hmm. um, the law of abundance was one of the very first ones that came to me and it came to me in so many different areas. It's unbelievable because um, when we talk about giving back, you know, as we're talking about and financial wealth. I think about the law of abundance a lot um, as well as the law of reciprocity because I feel like 
you know, a lot of us think about money and we think about it in scarcity, scarcity terms. When you think about money, the first thing that comes to your mind is, whoa, I, I, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is that I have a ton of this. It's great. It's awesome. It's, it's always, wow, how can I get more? I don't have enough. And so um, when I think about the law of abundance, I think about mindset and changing our mindset to thinking, yes, I don't have enough now, but how can I enable myself to have more um, and to be resilient financially and resourceful financially? So I talk about the two R's a lot in terms of money because I see money through a different lens. Now I see it as enabling financial resilience enabling financial resourcefulness and especially because of what I've been through. And so when we think about abundance, um, you know, like I, I write in the book too, not necessarily just thinking about, you know, flashy wealth and, and this type of thing, but abundance in terms of um, having enough to allow us to be financially resilient and financially resourceful. Um, so it's a very important law in the book. And it touches on a lot of different things like giving back because I feel like when you give, you receive, and that's also wrapped up in the law of reciprocity. Um, and I think about abundance, not only in terms of having, you know, flashy cars and a big house, but I think about it in terms of enabling not only individual resilience, but as a society, like how can we all enable, you know, ourselves to, um, bounce back from setbacks. And this is how you bounce back from setbacks is you enable yourself to be financially resilient and financially resourceful. And I talk about having a financial identity in the book as well. And, um, a lot of that is wrapped up in that because women I find, and this happened to me, even though I was a trained economist, you know, I, I am that we transition into adulthood, not having a, a keen sense of our financial identities because, you know, we get married and we are influenced um, by our spouses. We are influenced to by our parents growing up. And so we take on their financial identities more than we even realize. And it affects how we spend, how we save and how we invest. We're not thinking about what do I really want and how do I want this money to serve me? Um, in a way that makes me more resourceful and resilient. And that's something I want women to think about because I, I did a lot of thinking about that after my husband died. And um, very important so that we can bounce back from setbacks and, and live that intentionally life, um, you know, that, that life that we want to live. So, so when I think about abundance, I think about all of that wrapped up. And, and, and these are concepts that I'd love to explore more, like even beyond the book. Um, because, you know, like, I feel like it needs a whole other <laughs> book or topic to flesh out more about how women can develop their financial identities and, and really embrace that and feel confident in their spending and their saving habits and in their investment habits. Because I feel like once you, I, I, you know, you, you take on that financial identity, it gives you that confidence to move forward. This isn't, you know, what, you know, my mom thinks I should do or my friend or, my spouse, this is exactly who I want to be. And this is, this is my money philosophy. This is what I want um, my financial life to look like. Wow. Um, there's so many things going through my mind. I hope that you do continue to write. I, I would love to see um, 
you elaborate more on some of the things that you brought up in your book. Um, I love your style of writing and the ideas that you have and just uh, what you were saying just now about taking on a spouse's financial identity or parents' financial identity. I can so, I, I mean, that's just, it, it blew my mind when you were saying it because I can see that in my own life. Mm -hmm. I can see I have adult daughters. Um, so yeah, that's something I think that we do maybe without even really realizing that we're doing it. And for myself, uh, I, I didn't realize I was doing it until I had been doing it in a negative way for a while. And now I'm fixing it. And so, um, yeah, I think, so how do, say a newly married young lady, how, how does she maintain or even establish her own financial identity rather than taking on that of her husband? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And one thing I would say, and you know, it's funny because I, I feel the same way you do because it was after my husband died and I was alone now that I was like, wow. And this is what, this is how you can tell if you don't have your own financial identity. You keep thinking, what would he think if I were to buy this dress? What would he think if I were to buy this thing? Or what would he think about this investment maybe he wouldn't think it's a good idea. And then the guilt starts. And that's what happened to me. And I thought, wow, I need to stop doing that. And I need to be confident in my decisions. And I wanted that confidence. And I wanted that, um, you know, happiness that came with me doing what I wanted to do with my own money. And, and so afterwards, that's when I thought through all of this. And so for a newly married um, couple or female who is, just starting on that journey, because, you know, in the book, I refer to this as the expansionary years. Those are your years when you're investing a lot of money in core assets, assets that will probably define you and in financially in terms of your net worth and, and things like that. I mean, it sounds, you know, um, bad, but that's what it is. These are assets that will define you until you retire, probably. And, and so think about your financial goals. You know, in the book, I talk about having like a personal mission aligned with your values and all of that. Think about your financial goals and where you see yourself, you know, from an early age, like I'll give you an example for me. Like I knew I wanted to invest. I knew I liked real estate. I didn't know how I'd be able to do this or if, if that, you know, would ever happen. But I always looked at houses and just like, wow, I wonder what it feels like to have a house that you can call an investment. And, and so other women listening might have that yearning for some other type of investment or for a piece of farmland that they can develop or for having a business. And, and we get these messages all the time. You know, and I talk about that in the book, people might tell you, no, you can't do that or you can't. But if you have your own financial identity and you know that these are your goals and your dreams, so you think about your goals and your dreams, things that you've always longed for. And, you know, these things are investments, like core assets. When you think about like a business or real estate or some other form of investment, then that's one way you know that that yearning and that longing is yours and it's uniquely yours. And before marriage, um, we all walk in with our goals and dreams. We all, we, we all walk in with things that, you know, we want to achieve and how our life should unfold. Um, but then 
sometimes during that relationship, things might not happen for whatever reason. And there are always people to say, nah, maybe not. Just, you know, do this or do that. That might be safer for you. And, and so it might not be a spouse. It might be a friend. It might be somebody else. And so these are some of the things that you can think about to prompt you into thinking, yeah, you know what? I've always wanted to have this. And I've always wanted, you know, I was never the type to buy lots of fancy clothes, but I was always the type to think about, wow, what would I want my, my net worth to be at age 35, 40, 45? And so when you think about your spending and your saving habits, you can, you can easily map out kind of the things you like to splurge on versus the things you like to save on. And all of us are different and unique and it's fine, you know, and it's fine if you like to splurge on a certain thing. But just know that it needs to be balanced with being financially resourceful and resilient because those are some of the things long-term that will help you to bounce back from tragedy. So that's how I would think about it in terms of like a, you know, somebody who's not yet married but is, is, is on the verge of and thinking about their financial identity. And you know what? It's so wrapped up in our goals too. Because when I think about me, like I've, I've always wanted to retire early to do something. And that was, that was, that was me from the beginning, um, even before my husband died. And so if you know that, then it helps you to form your own financial identity because then you'll know that you'll need to save and invest even more aggressive than the average person because your goal is to retire early. And if that's your goal, you know, you have to map out a path if you really want to achieve it. And then it becomes a part of your financial identity. Well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm investing more aggressively than the average person my age now, because I know I want to retire early. And so it becomes a part of your whole financial identity. And, and this is something I think we need to um, embrace, something that we need to, to give thought to and, and to really sit down, I mean, even as a couple and think, yeah, you know, this, these are things I prefer to splurge on versus save on. These are things that as a couple, I think we need to have agreement on in terms of what we'll save and what we'll splurge on in terms of, you know, what will make us more financially resourceful and financially resilient. Like, I, you know, everything has to be a part of the puzzle in terms of like life insurance and long-term care, all of these things are things that when you talk about being financially resilient, those things enable that because they help us to bounce back. If, if some, if someone dies, somebody gets a critical illness, um, if somebody loses a job or, you know, if we get a divorce, like these are some of the things that we need to think about and kind of balance with our, our, our goals and our long-term needs. So that's, that's kind of the gist of it. Um, you know, and a lot of that I know is, is also mentioned in the book. So it's, Mm -hmm. Yeah, very important. Yes, I agree. Um, So let's talk a little bit about debt then. Um, I know you said that when your husband passed away, thankfully you did not have a lot of debt. Um, But what would you say to people who maybe do have a lot of debt or even to single women um, with debt? Just debt, I guess, in general. But yeah, I mean, was that something that you intentionally just didn't have debt? You decided together that you weren't going to have a lot of debt? Or was it just something that kind of happened? Yeah, to be honest, like, I think I was just too young. Like, I think, I think, I, I really do think you accumulate, apart from student loans, 
I really think you accumulate more in your, in your, um, and I mean, I don't know if studies bear me out, but this is my personal experience, my personal thoughts that I think you accumulate more when you're a bit older than, uh-huh. in, you know, just off of 30. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I just don't think we, we had bought our first home and yes, we had a mortgage. So we had that debt. Um, but it was like a, you know, it was like a small town home. It wasn't big. It was really small. And so even the mortgage debt was negligible. I mean, you were practically in your 20s still. I mean, exactly. 31 isn't really in your 30s. Exactly, exactly. Just off of my, my, my 20s, exactly. And I didn't have student loans um, because I didn't, have, I didn't have for my undergrad and for my grad school, um, you know, like it was just paid for. So I didn't have student loan debt um, and the mortgage debt was negligible. We were still young. We weren't big spenders. My husband was a CPA and he was the type to kind of keep every receipt, like track every dollar, every dime, you know, and, and which is one of the reasons why I even came up with this whole financial identity thing. Cause he was the type who was like a penny pincher. So I, I, I didn't have a lot and that was a good influence from him. It really was. Um, but yeah, like once I, once he died, I started thinking about what if I had that? And I know it would have been very easy to have that. Um, it was just a matter of like age, being just young and just not having the student loans, which typically at that age is what burdens most of us at that time. It's the student loans. And we didn't have a big flashy wedding, so we didn't have any um, debt from our wedding. And we barely, you know, so the kids weren't, you know, that age where you start to spend lots of money, which is, I think, the age that my kids are now. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, where you start to spend more and more and more and more. Um, and so I thought about debt a lot because I thought, oh my gosh, this would have been crazy if I had to foot a funeral, foot the bills for a funeral, because the funeral costs quite a bit. Like, we look at the average cost of a funeral online, it's way more, and every, everything that goes along with it, way more. And then I thought about, well, if I wanted to take time off from work, how would I do that with two young kids and have debt? What would I do? And so I focused on that. And that's why one whole chapter in the book is related to that. Because I think about women a lot who are in my shoes, but have debt. And that's why, you know, I, there are some interviews in the book with other women who are young and the strategies they've been using and very aggressive in paying them down. And that's what I would advise as well. Just very aggressive in, I mean, some women take on side jobs and and things like that. And I know if you're not able to do that, it's just good to dedicate even a little bit more than you're, you're dedicating now to paying that down and getting that off because that's um, one of the strategies that enables financial resilience and financial resourcefulness is, is getting out of debt and not having that because then that becomes a setback in times of tragedy. Like if, if a job loss comes in, it's a setback. If loss of a family member, it's a setback. If a divorce comes in, it's a, it's a big, huge setback. And so I, I, I just would, you know, advise women to, to look at, at what they're allocating to debt right now in terms of their repayments and see if, you know, that can be topped up in any way. Um, you know, in the book, I talk about your allocative, your allocative efficiency. And that's what I'm talking about. I am talking about, you know, like we make purchases every day and some purchases are 
are needed and there's some that we can absolutely cut back on and you know it all adds up so even if it's that i don't know whatever that weak spot is that you have you know look at that and see can i dedicate this much more to paying that down because i think um that will get you well on your way to to achieving you know financial well-being and eliminating debt is just one of the ways of getting because financial debt like it, it's one of the big stress stressors in our lives it's, it's it's if not the most significant stress source of stress so i think you know whether or not you know there's a setback or there's anything else happening it's just a worthy goal to get rid of it as soon as possible yes. and so being aggressive about paying down debt is something that i definitely advise I do too. I think um, you have people in both camps when it comes to debt. I talk to my friends and they're, you know, we talk about how our spouses feel about debt and there's people who like have debt. Oh, they're like, Oh, everyone has debt. No big deal. And then there's people who's like, Oh, oh my gosh, we have debt. Um, and it's funny too, when you have two people that are married and one is the, Oh, I don't want any debt. And the other one's like, Oh, everybody has debt. Um, that's always interesting. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I agree. Getting rid of debt as quickly as possible, even if it means taking on side jobs um, or just like I tell my daughters, try not to get debt in the first place. Mm -hmm. Ask yourself, do you really need to buy this? Do you have to buy it on credit? I mean, because I can see, you know, maybe cars or student loans, houses, um, but then just having a credit card for spending or traveling that you don't pay off is just can I say a little irresponsible? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. So I do think that part of our financial health is getting rid of that debt. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any other suggestions for young women as far as um, maintaining or building, having a healthy um, financial life? Yeah, no, for sure. I think um, looking at how much you're saving. And so I get this question a lot. Um, I'm paying down debt should I save? How can I save when I'm paying down debt? Because everything is going to debt repayment. And I think that's one of the burdens that we all face is how do I, you know, shave off room for the saving? And I think the saving, even at the point of paying off debt is very important because for some of us, and, and this has to do with mortgages and student loans, you know, big, big um, loans. It takes a while and it's okay if it takes if it takes you a while and I don't think that's something that we should beat up ourselves about but what I, I think we need to do because it takes a while is to save as we're as we're paying down debt and um, I know it sounds like a contradiction to say well be aggressive about paying down debt and then save find you know extra to save but i think it's still good to find the extra so i i, I think that's why having a budget is so important and really finding okay how can i allocate to, to debt and still save a little still invest a little because i think they go hand in glove i don't think we can be financially resilient or resourceful if we have no savings and that's the thing like i see a lot of financial advice that's being handed out like even on the internet today where they're like, no, just forget saving until you pay off debt. And I think to myself, okay, well, I'm picturing a young woman like myself at 31 
who was widowed with two young kids. Let's say I was paying off debt as aggressively as I could, dedicating every dime. And that was well and good. And you know, like I was doing the best I could for me. What if I'm left with no income, no husband, no, and, and I have no savings? That would be catastrophic. And so all the decisions and all the life lessons that are there in that book are influenced by that. And I think it's good when, you know, like their financial advisors out there, they're well-educated, they're, they're very experienced, but they haven't suffered the types of setbacks. And quite frankly, not, some of them aren't women. And they're not shouldering some of the burdens that we women are shouldering. Because the thing about it is, and this is something I've talked about too, women tend to, sh- to spend a, a, an outsized share of our salaries and paychecks on the household. And we tend to spend more. We tend to spend more when we have babies. We tend to spend more when we acquire a new home, just in fixing it up and doing all the things around the home. Or, or incomes, like it, it, it really gets spent there. And I, I want all women to think about, and, and this is why I talk about being intentional, just to think about where it's going and how you can put aside some to save and and think about resilience and resourcefulness like have those two words in the back of your mind and you'll 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 kind of get instantly why it's necessary because you know it's funny because like a lot of women will outlive their husbands like i know it won't it probably won't happen at my age like at 31 when it happened to me but a lot of us will outlive our spouses and for a lot of us will become the main breadwinner at some point in our, in our lives or the other. And whether you have adult children or young children, you know, women are taking care of grandchildren or taking care of children and great grandchildren where we're going to be in that mode. I think we're going to be in that mode until we die. Cause that's just who we are too, as individuals. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I think that saving at the same time as paying down debt, is radically important. Like it's, it's not a proposition where it has to be like, I'm going all out for my debt and I'm not putting anything aside if I have a job loss. Cause that's not, that's not going to help. And it's not going to help if we get an illness where we have to stop from work. Cause once that paycheck stops, then we're going to have to have something to kick in. And that's where the resourcefulness comes in. That's where, okay, what are the pot of funds that I have? that can help me to kind of, you know, go forward. And so I would, and investing is, is a whole other topic. I mean, saving just in a regular bank account is not even advised. It's really investing, finding those high yield accounts where we can get some compound interest. Like it's, it's, it's very much in the vein of, okay, I'm going to invest this fund, you know, these funds so that they can help me overcome whatever setbacks come. And, and, and so sitting down and doing that budget, looking at it strategically, not just with like, yeah, I have this to pay down tomorrow, but like, yeah, 10 years down the line, this is what I need to have. I think that's, that's, that's the way to kind of look at it. That's, that's what I would advise for sure. I think that's really good advice. There's so much more information in this book. But before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you, we didn't get to all four of the sections of your book. During the physical and spiritual nourishment section, uh, you talked about that you had given up sugar and that you gave up, you know, pizza, fries and, you know, this kind of thing. And you've turned more to 
organic, um, made from scratch meals following kind of like the DASH diet because of hypertension that had ran in your family. Are you still following this kind of like organic home style cooking thing? Uh, Do you do that? I do. I do follow it as much as I can. It's a bit more difficult now because like I'm not living on a home that's like surrounded by farmland with all these organic (laughs) fruits and vegetables, which I had on my sabbatical. It was like I could just go outside and pick, you know, my fruits for, um, you know, for whatever meal I was making. But now I still do try to to, to incorporate that in terms of my fruits, in terms of organic eating, um, in terms of even the DASH diet. I, you know, it's funny because it's, it's endemic, that DASH diet to like the Caribbean and it's, it's, it's there in everything that, um, they don't have to, to, you know, to go out of their way to find it. Um, but here you like, you know, I'm in Canada and here we do. And so I do, I try my best to incorporate that because that was what helped me, you know, like a lot of people don't talk about the physical side effects of grief, but that cutting out that sugar and and cutting out the refined foods um, really helped me get back on track physically. And, and it's, it's something that I think we all need to continue like myself included. And, and so I've been doing the best I can at healthy eating. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that's become a part of me. And, and even when I slip up, you know, and because I have kids and they like, they like the pizzas and they like mm-hmm. the chicken nuggets and, you know, it's, so it's kind of like, even when I slip up, I'm like, no, I'm not going to be eating like my eight year old. I'm going to, I'm going to, I, I have to, cause this is what got me through that period. Mm-hmm. It is for certain, um, you know, that type of living where it was farm to table. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's something that I still embrace for sure. I like that you did that. I think it's interesting because I think a lot of times when people go through grief, they don't think about their physical nourishment. They just grab whatever is easy um, that they don't have to think about or in your case, and the same thing happened to me. And I think, I don't know, I I don't want to speak for you. So you can um, tell me if this is how it was for you. I, after I experienced grief, um, my sister passed away very young from cancer and um, she passed away within two years of my father passing away. So there was a, a two-year period of time where it was just, well, really more than that, maybe four years where there was just so much grief. And I think I focused more on, okay, I've got to be really healthy. And so that was kind of my mindset. I'm definitely not going to be drinking um sodas. I'm definitely not going to be doing fast food. So for me, it wasn't just about, you know, feeding myself, but like, what's the best thing I can put in my body? Is that kind of how you were feeling at that time? Yeah, that is. And you know what, as you're talking and it's great to like talk, this is why it's great to talk things through because as you were talking, like I'm remembering, and this happens to a lot of people when they're going through grief. I mean, friends and well-wishers will stop by with different food to to help. And it's amazing because it got me through that that period where I'm planning a funeral and I'm, I'm deciding how, you know, what casket to choose and all of that. And people are stopping by with Chinese food and, and diff- different things, which is great. And I'm eating that. And at the time I'm not thinking about what I'm putting in my body. Cause I, I'm on autopilot and I need to get through the funeral and get through different things. And I know for a lot of people who are grieving and you know, when you're, let's say you're, you're the next of kin to the person who dies, you just need to get through that. And so what helped me was when I stepped back, and I thought, okay, 
I need to think about now how I'm moving forward and, 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 and how I'm going to nourish myself to get through this. And it was after that period on, on sabbatical when I thought, yeah, I need to be intentional because I, I, I had lost 40 pounds um, overnight. Like in two weeks, I lost 40 pounds after he died. And I, I remember going into a supermarket, not having the energy to even put like an orange in a bag. My friend had to put things, you know, like things in the shopping cart for me. I couldn't do that. I didn't have enough energy to do that. I was not sleeping. Well, I had ins extreme insomnia. And so the physical effects were devastating when you have young, young kids at home to take care of and, you know, you're alone. And so I had to think about how I was going to build back my body. And that's what, that's when I started thinking, no, I can't put anything in. I'm going to have to be very intentional about what I put in now so that I can literally build myself. It was almost like, you know, I talk about the dry bones in the book, but I really felt like that's what I had become. And I really had to feed myself back to like, back to health. I had to feed myself back to health. And that's what I did. And everything became intentional in terms of my healing. And so, um, and so, yeah, you bring up a good point that, you know, when you're in the, in the first few weeks to, to month to, to couple of months, you might not be thinking about what you're putting in. It might be what's easiest because it's, it's what will get you through, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's what will just feed the hunger and just, you know, and you move on to the tasks that you have to attend to. And, and so I, I do appeal to, to anyone who's listening, who is going through that, that grief or a divorce or some sort of illness that um, it's, it's good to think about what you put in because I know physically how devastating it can be. And, and sometimes we think, wow, like I know I'm grieving, but why do I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm a corpse myself? But this is, this is exactly why it's because we need that nourishment that, that physical nourishment as well, for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I am not surprised that you were tired and had insomnia. It's bad enough to uh, grieve the loss of someone that meant that much to you, but to have had an eight week old baby at the same time, mm -hmm. it's almost a insurmountable challenge that you mm -hmm. had to go through. And it seems like you do have a lot of resilience and that you were able to, make it through and shine on the other side. And I'm so thankful that you shared your life lessons with us. Is the 40 life lesson article still um, roaming around the internet still? It is on Thrive Global still. It's okay. still there. And they actually did. So Medium contacted me when it went viral. And they're like, can we do a, an audio recording for the article? Because this is one of our best for the year. And so you can listen to the audio as well. It's not by me they hired somebody to do it. Mm -hmm. And so it's still there. And um, I, yeah, I'd be happy if you checked it out for sure. Okay. I'll put the link to that in this uh, blog post. So if you're listening, you can check it out at thatorganicmom.com. I'll have the link to the book and I will get the link to the original article. Yes. Um, so people can take a look at that too. Thank you, Keisha, for being with us. I appreciate so much everything that you have done to share this important message with other women. Thanks for having me. It's, it was great discussing this with you. And um, I really hope your audience uh, loves the book. And for anyone who wants to visit my website, it's www.keishablair.com. And I'm on social media. My handle is at Keisha Blair for um, Instagram and Twitter and, and Facebook. 
I love getting, you know, like messages from readers. So reach out to me. I, I would absolutely love that and tell me how your journey is going, um, you know, in terms of achieving holistic wealth. I'd love to hear that too. Oh, that's great. So there you go. You can contact her at KeishaBlair.com. So thanks again, Keisha. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review so other people can learn about this podcast. Find out more about sleep, hygiene, eating healthy, tasty recipes, zero-waste lifestyle, and lots more on ThatOrganicMom.com. Help us spread the word. Be blessed and stay healthy.